Hi, this is Steve Nerlick, and this is Steve's PhD, Episode 9, The Big Picture. It's occurred to me that some listeners may be wondering why a grown man is frittering his life away on a PhD about students who study outside their home country. I mean, big deal, right? So perhaps it's time I explained that international education really is a big deal. In 2011, 4.3 million tertiary-level students studied outside their home country. Several hundred thousand of them chose to study in Australia, which is kind of impressive when you consider that we have a resident population of only 23 million. All those visiting students contributed around $16 billion to our economy in that year and made education our fourth biggest export. Seriously, in 2011, Australia's biggest exports were coal, iron ore, gold and education. Teachers have been saying it for centuries, but these days economists are saying it too. Education is one of the world's most valuable resources. Now, most of those globe-trotting students came from quote-unquote emerging economies in Asia, South America, Eastern Europe and Africa, where families are sending their kids out to get a qualification from an English-speaking country. This is because English is thought to be the international language of commerce as well as the fact that English-speaking universities generally sit quite high in the world university rankings. Think of Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, and of course the Australian National University. But all that is just one side of the story. These English-speaking countries are also sending their own students out. The US particularly has enthusiastically embraced the concept of quote-unquote, study abroad, since the end of the Second World War. These days, about a quarter of a million US students study abroad each year. According to a peer-reviewed journal article I've read, the movie Gidget Goes to Rome is a good example of a 1960s US study abroad experience, apart from all the surfing. Gidget arrives and experiences culture shock, but by the end of it, she and those around her have learnt wisdom and hopefully gained the requisite course credits as well. When Gidget returns home, all returns to normal, apart from her occasionally saying Ciao Bella and eating more pasta. Study abroad has generally been a bit of a rich kid's thing because you have to pay the airfare and accommodation. It's also been a bit of an arts-humanities thing too. To do it, you need a degree with flexibility, with elective units and that sort of thing. Hardcore technical degrees, like those male-dominated science and engineering degrees, would never allow such nonsense. So, until recently, study abroad has pretty much been... Gidget goes to Rome. But now, in the 21st century, you may not be surprised to hear that economists are taking an interest in study abroad. 
The world has gone global, and apparently we all need to become global citizens if we are to keep up. So we still want Gidget to go and learn about another culture, but now it's so she will develop the skills to negotiate supply chain agreements for a franchise of Euro Gidget surf shops. Anyway, that's a brief history of study abroad. Meanwhile, our thinking about science, technology, engineering and mathematics, that is, STEM education, has been evolving along similar lines, that is, economic lines. There is a good correlation between economic prosperity and how much you invest in STEM education, as well as how much you invest in research and development industries that can gainfully employ all your STEM graduates. So, everyone now agrees that there is a place in the new global economy for STEM study abroad. Finding that place is where I come in. Although first it's worth pausing to reflect on the fact that STEM postgraduate research students have been travelling abroad for decades. These days it's almost unusual not to travel abroad if you are a STEM PhD candidate or a postdoc. Globalisation happened in universities a long time before it happened anywhere else. There is a long tradition of universities moving researchers around to put them in touch with expertise and infrastructure not available in their home university and possibly not available in their home country. Sometimes it's just a temporary arrangement, but sometimes our people go there and stay there while their people come here and stay here. With all this going on, the whole idea of brain drain starts to get a bit confusing. Indeed, the whole idea of citizenship starts getting a bit confusing. All that matters is that you follow the work, and the work follows you. And things aren't all that different in the humanities, arts, social sciences, and any other fields of study. From PhD level onwards, you might not make the mega bucks, but you do get to travel the world, or at least some of its universities. But of course, all that is about postgraduates. Right now, everyone is mad keen on getting our STEM undergraduates to go abroad, which is not as straightforward as it might seem. Firstly, as I mentioned before, it is a bit of a rich kids thing, which is not meant to be disparaging of kids who just happen to have rich parents. It's just how things are. But even then, only a few rich kids go, and despite lots of scholarships, tuition discounts and loan schemes, not many of the not-so-rich kids study abroad either. At last count... 13% of graduating Australian university students said they had studied internationally at some point during their degree, which is about the same rate as US undergraduates. And although by volume, the largest number of global roaming students come from China, they only represent around 3% of all Chinese undergraduates. So, what's holding everyone back? The obvious disincentive to studying abroad is that it will cost you, 
not just financially, but also in opportunity cost. A fancy term for all those things you might miss out on while you are abroad. If you have a part-time job, you'll have to take leave. If you are renting an apartment, you'll have to vacate it, but still pay the rent. And who knows, maybe you just met someone nice in the coffee shop. Or maybe you just joined the volleyball team and the grand final is coming up. These are all opportunities you could miss out on if you choose to study abroad. Also, as I mentioned before, there may be a problem with the degree you are studying. If you're enrolled in a liberal arts degree, you are encouraged to fill your degree with electives. Perhaps a language unit here and a bit of law there. In engineering, you study engineering. You don't have much in the way of electives. And if you devote one unit to study abroad, you generally just get ungraded credit for it. While your friends who stayed home get graded credit and therefore have a chance to bump up their grade point average. But maybe the biggest problem of all is, what's the point? What is it that you get back for the substantial investment that you make in time and money and lost opportunities? This is perhaps the most befuddling part of my PhD so far. Having taken on the task of investigating why more students weren't studying abroad, I have found myself beginning to wonder why the heck any students study abroad. I mean, okay, you're abroad, it's fun, and it's more than likely that your mind will be broadened. After all, that's what travel traditionally does. If nothing else, you'll learn how to negotiate your way through airports and to use another country's public transport system. You'll also find out how to buy two takeaway coffees and hence impress your potential new business partner when you stroll into their office at 9am with the coffees. Hey Michelle, skinny half-cap mocha for you, right? Now what about this new proposal from Eurogidget? But this doesn't really answer the key question. If those are the skills you seek, why study abroad rather than just go abroad? So, should we keep sending our students out to experience reruns of Gidget Goes to Rome? Or should we start thinking that even for undergraduates, the real education value of study abroad may just involve access to infrastructure and expertise that is not available in your home country? To find out the answer to this seeming conundrum, you're just going to have to keep listening to this darn podcast. Steve Nerlick, PhD Candidate.